And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody. JT, home studio today, brought to you by... Doghouse Saloon, the best place for Monday night football, no debate. Doghouse Saloon inside Resorts World, Las Vegas, the newest property here on the Strip. It's fantastic. There's not a bad seat in Doghouse. They also have their sports book right there, so you don't have to leave Doghouse. You can place your bets there. Food's incredible. Drink specials. An amazing after party. People come for the after party, let alone Monday night football. Doghouse Saloon at Resorts World Las Vegas, our official home for Monday Night Football. Danny Cannell is going to call in here in a bit. Uh, the former college quarterback at Florida State, NFL quarterback. Done a lot of radio with him over the years. He's going to check in. We'll take a look at some of these college football headlines and what's happening. Welcome, everybody, to the baseball lockout. Baseball's locked out. I was on the radio last night when it happened. Midnight Eastern, 9 o'clock Pacific. And my phone's lit up. I couldn't believe it. People were really upset. And Rob Manford, right after the lockout began at midnight Eastern, put out a letter, a tweet from MLB.com. They went to MLB.com, and they took down the likeness of the players. They took the players off the MLB.com website. These guys are fighting like they're mean girls, like they're 13- and 15-year-old girls having a fight. I cannot believe this. So Rob Manfred says the union's proposal would damage small market teams. It's pretty complicated. On the players' union side, I agree that players shouldn't have to wait six years to free agency. If you're great at the age of 19, if you're great at the age of 22, which a lot of players are not, they should have the value and opportunity to make money. And when it comes to what's happening with all the rule changes and all the mistakes that baseball has made, I like a good negotiation. I really do. I don't have a problem that baseball's locked out. I'll have a problem if baseball remains locked out when the season starts. Since 1976, players can become free agents after six seasons of Major League Service. The Players Association, the union, proposed starting with the 2023-24 season and change it from six years to five. I'm fine with that. that that's a good proposal from the union. Major League Baseball would keep the existing provisions or change the eligibility to the age of 29.5. That's too late for me, man. By the age of 30 years old, you know what's going to happen with a baseball player's career. And then the small market, big market story is up in the air here. There's going to be a players' conference coming up uh, later on today, and the negotiations are a little bit ugly. Baseball can't get out of the way of themselves, and they're looking to expand the postseason to 14 teams. So if, you, if you're the one seed in the American League and the National League, you'd get a bye. We all understand the bye week. But then the division winners. So say the Yankees win the East, but they don't have the best record in baseball. They're a division winner. They get to choose the team they play in the wild card. Like it's a rose ceremony. Like it's the Bachelorette or some crap like that. Can you believe that baseball's stupid enough to do this, to put out a television show, because you see the college football playoff is a TV show. Every week they tell you if Cincinnati's out or they're in. Major League Baseball is telling us that part of the proposal is 
is that division winners get to choose the wild card team that they want to play. How in God's name would any baseball fan who cares about the sport of baseball go for that crap? They are screwing with this league so bad with rule changes. They're scared that they're losing younger fans. And it's going to get ugly here. So if you want to talk about this, you know, Vegas is a baseball town. There's a lot of professional baseball players who live in this town. And I think that baseball's leadership is terrible with Rob Manford. I think they'll figure this out. It's all about the money. And you look at the amount of players that make all the money. 33 players in baseball control 50% of the revenue when you look at salaries here. So I thought we were going to get away from these $300 million contracts. We never do because of the money that's coming into baseball, ladies and gentlemen. If you add Amazon, Facebook, you add all these streaming companies, and then you bring in all the gambling, DraftKings, FanDuel, the revenue in baseball continues to go up, but the crowds continue to get smaller. I mean, there are some teams that barely pull in eight to 10,000 fans a night. How are you going to have two or three guys on a baseball team making $250 bucks when you draw on 8,000 fans? I think baseball's in big trouble. I really do. I think Rob Manford is a terrible commissioner, and I think he's going to ruin it. And this, I think they'll, they'll settle this before spring training, or it might go right up to spring training. But how childish are the owners and the commissioner to take the pictures of the players off the website? Really? So you want to go and, and look at a picture of Bryce Harper and it's been removed? How petty is that from a g- bunch of grown-ass men and some women trying to negotiate? And they're saying, well, we're going to start off our negotiation by tweeting out our opinion and taking your likeness down from our website. And this is awful. 702-365-9200. Okay, we got him. Danny Cannell, former great quarterback at Florida State, played under the great Bobby Bowden, and now he's on ESPNU in the mornings, and he picks football games too. Danny, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. How you been? Thanks for coming on. I'm fantastic, JT. It's been a minute. It's great to catch up with you. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving as well, man. It was a fun weekend. Not only the turkey that I ate, but those games, man. The college football scene has been incredible all season long. That was an awesome weekend. Absolutely, and we get into conference championships. But I, we always have great, honest conversations, and I want to get into the coaching moves first as we talk about what happened with Lincoln Riley. You know I have a son who's a junior at Oklahoma, a student there. I watch all their games, and I didn't like Bedlam because I thought he got out coached, And then the timeline, he started going on a media tour explaining the timeline late Saturday night after Bedlam, early Sunday. Danny, it doesn't add up to me. I mean, this is Oklahoma to USC. You don't move your wife and kids and coaches and families in about 24 hours. Is it fair to look at the exit strategy first of Lincoln Riley and how he got to SC? Yes, I do think it's fair to look at that. I do wonder what would have changed any outcomes because this Oklahoma team like I know, and I trust me. I work with Dusty Voracek on the morning show. I know where, like, he's in Oklahoma sooner, so I get the sensitivity and the emotions that are going through every Oklahoma sooner fan right now. But like, was he shopping around when they almost got beat by Tulane in Week One? You know, like, there, there's always something you could look back and point to. Now, my hunch is that Lincoln Riley wasn't thrilled with the move to the SEC. I think he knows that's going to be tougher. I think he knows that makes his job security status in Norman that much more in doubt. 
And if you were looking at an easier path to a national championship, it would be in the Pac-12 with USC. So I think those things were considered. And I think he came in kind of with a little bit of skepticism about the move to the SEC. And so I think it's as simple as him telling his agent, hey, these are the two or three schools I would ever even think about leaving for. And these are the numbers that I would give you. Or these are the numbers I would consider moving for. And then his agent kind of takes it from there. And it's a quick phone call. It's, you know, conversations with his wife. I don't think it's that distracting. The other thing I think, too, that Oklahoma fan, now this is where the dynamic that's really kind of, this is the shady side. He has been recruiting unbelievably well to Oklahoma, and that never stopped until he took the job at USC. And now he's, you know, six of those commits have decommitted. Now he's, you know, there's conversation, does he bring Caleb Williams with him? But now that he's at the table, he's now the head coach at USC. That's what, to me, is going to hurt the most because I think a lot of players are going to follow him there. Danny Cannell's our guest. Check out Bet Online for updated college football playoff Heisman and Conference Championship Week line. So let's move to Brian Kelly, considering how important even the committee said as they released the recent poll that a coaching move could have a difference, could make a difference in a final analysis for a playoff. And I didn't know about the fit. We obviously know the SEC's better, and and Kelly will have a better chance technically to get better players to win a national championship. But, Danny, you know Notre Dame and that gauntlet. So the gauntlet's in, it's tougher in the SEC than it is at Notre Dame. So take me behind the scenes with this move and the text message to his players to meet him at 7 in the morning. This didn't end smoothly either. No, and there's no perfect way. Like, we can sit back here and we can judge each one and say which one was the right thing to do. If I'm a player, don't even ask me to get up. Just text me goodbye. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, you can come meet with us in person and look us in the eye, but – in the end, you're still leaving. Like, that's all that matters. So, Brian Kelly, I think to me, JT, it was pretty clear. He realized, okay, I'm tapped out. I have maximized the resources I've been given in South Bend. And, you know, I've been to the BCS National Championship game, got smoked by Bama. I have been a couple times to the college football playoff and not really been competitive against Clemson. But you know what? Like, I have restrictions at Notre Dame against the type of player that I can bring in here. Academic restrictions, character restrictions. You know, Notre Dame is, they view themselves as elite for a reason. They have a different standard than what he's been going to get at LSU. At LSU, he can pretty much go say to the administration, I need this player in, I need these 10 players in, and all 10 are going to pass. At Notre Dame, you might give them a list of 10 and they say, well, we can only get you two of these Mm -hmm. in, into the university, accepted. So to me, it's about Brian Kelly saying, you know what? I've pretty much tapped out, maximized everything I could at Notre Dame. I want to go play against Clemson and Alabama with equal talent, which he can amass at LSU with the recruiting capabilities, with the commitment they'll give to him, with the resources he has. So that to me is a move for him saying, yeah, it might be tougher, but I'm tired of going against these guys with one arm tied behind my back. I want to go in on an equal playing field, and that's what he's going to get. Danny Cannell, kind enough to join us through Bet Online. So we go back to your career at Florida State playing for the great Bobby Bowden. You were ACC Player of the Year in 1995. How have you evolved on this topic with coaches leaving and the way they communicate with players who are now involved with NIL, name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal? It's changed a lot, Danny, since 1994, 1995, when you played at the highest level of college football. How have you evolved with it as a content provider? 
So I have matured a lot. I've grown up a lot. And I've also learned a lot more about the business of college football, which is at a point to me where we're minor league NFL in every aspect except for one, right? Now, name, image, and likeness players can get endorsement deals. There's essentially free agency in college football because players can move from one school to another without penalty, and so they can move. So you have free agency. The coaches are making NFL-type money, $10 bucks a year. That's as much as NFL coaches. There's one disparity that's not the same, and that's what the players are getting, which is nothing. Yes, they can make some money but they're not making a portion of the pie. And I use the term a piece of the pie because that's what they determine in the NFL. It's a piece of the revenues. And I don't know if there's a perfect solution other than blowing up the whole thing. And JT, I really feel like that's what we're on the cusp of. Maybe it's a super league that forms with 32 teams. Maybe it's 48 teams, the top tier teams at the FBS level that can actually uh, afford to pay their players and to pay their coaches but the amount of money that's being thrown around is obscene. And the fact that players aren't getting any of it, except whatever they can come up with on the endorsement trail, to me, is it's gotten too big. The disparity is too much. And I'm always, I've always been a believer in there's value in education and there's value in a scholarship and a degree, and there absolutely is. But there's enough money to give some of it to the players that are out there. And maybe there's a separation. Maybe there's a, a professional college ranks where they are all paid like employees, and then there's an amateur ranks. But that, to me, would just be the evolution of a triple-A, double-A, single-A, which you have in baseball already with minor league baseball. I think that's probably the direction we're headed because everybody sees these numbers and realizes it's not right and players don't get any. Danny Cannell, bet online. All right, so you're a sharp gambler. There's two games I want to throw at you. The high of Michigan beating Ohio State. You played. You had to deal with this all the time at Florida State. You win a rivalry game, and then you had a bigger game after that. Well, this is Michigan. They're at 11 point, 10 and a half to 11 point favorite over Iowa, coming off the highest of high points in the Harbaugh reign at Michigan. How do they cover that number and not have a letdown coming off the Ohio State victory? JT, I think there's still a couple of players out reveling on the field because, man, they stayed out there for a long time, right? They were celebrating, soaking it in, uh, doing everything they could. You know what I like the best? My favorite play in this game is the under. It's a a low total at 43-and-a-half. That's an NFL-type number. Typically, you know, in college football, you see numbers approach the 50s. But I do think there's going to be a hangover effect. The issue is Their defense is so good, I don't think Iowa's going to be able to do much. I think it impacts Michigan on the offensive side of the ball. I think they could come out, be a little bit sloppy. Iowa's defense is legit. They're they're capable of pulling off this upset, potentially. I don't think that happens. I think Michigan wins by either 7 or 10 points, Mm -hmm. but I think it's going to be an ugly game for a half. I would even maybe, if you want to flirt with a first half under, I do think there's going to be a – a hangover, sleepwalking through the first half, and then Michigan will wake up, and they have too much talent that once they flip the switch, they'll be able to take control of the game and win. I just don't know if I trust the 10.5, 11 points there. So I would just not mess with it and take the under. If you can get Aaron Rodgers getting points at home at Lambeau or Nick Saban getting points, I would think in general you would take that. And a lot of fans are going to like Alabama on the money line because they have to win to get in. Georgia opens up minus 4.5. We'll play it at minus 6.5. Total on that game, 49.5-50. Everything on the line here. Georgia doesn't have to win. But they want to. They want to stay undefeated. Tough game to handicap. How do you say it? 
It really is. The line is pretty sharp. I mean, I just I look at it. I'm like, man, it looks tight. It looks right, especially where it's moved to. You know, when it was around three and a half, four and a half, then maybe I think there was value on Georgia. And if this thing climbs even more, then I absolutely think you jump on Bama as the dog. But even at six and a half, I'll still take Alabama. There is one massive X factor in this game because Georgia has the advantage on a lot of phases of the game. They have the best defense in college football. They've got an incredible offensive line. They've got great running backs. But there's a quarterback named Bryce Young, and he plays for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And he's probably going to win the Heisman. Now, a lot of it's going to impact how he plays against this Georgia Bulldog defense. But he he is not prone to making the mistakes. He has not turned the ball over at all this season. He's been very careful with the football. He doesn't make mistakes. And more importantly, he's made massive plays, including last week's Iron Bowl, when they needed a 97-yard drive in under a minute. He took them down the field through the game, tying touchdown pass to throw that game into overtime. And I don't think I've seen – you mentioned Aaron Rodgers coming in here. I don't think I've seen a quarterback make it look as effortless, going 97 yards to, you know, in the biggest – you know, game of the season with the game on the playoffs on the line. And he did not look like his pulse was above 70. It just looked effortless. I know Georgia's defense is going to hit him and they're going to hit him often. But I think as long as he is able and healthy, he will keep this within that six and a half. So I'm going to take Alabama in those points. It's too many against Nick Saban. All right, Danny, you saw Bryson DeChambeau and Kepket win. We got Shadow Creek. We got Cascada. We got Southern Highlands. We have sports books and casinos. We have you via bet online. You got to have a Vegas trip on the calendar. Come on, Danny. Let's get you out to Vegas again. You know, what's not that far away is the March Madness. Yes. That's always been my favorite, either that first weekend or the Sweet 16 weekend. There's not a better spot that I've been. So that might be one off the circle of my calendar and get out and see a JT because there's no better feeling than being in the book and you're watching some versus 16 <laughs> and there's like a 38 point you know, spread between the, the two and it's like coming down to the basket and the, and the whole casino the whole book goes nuts when that basket either makes or misses there's nothing better out there so i gotta plan a trip because i need some golf in me too that's what i'm saying you got it hey good (laughs) to talk to you i'll talk to you before that thanks for doing this you too jt great catching up same here danny danny cannell fantastic to talk to him and again you look at this game alabama's getting points and they have to win so i think alabama can win the game outright but georgia's the better team and georgia should win but you get a rare chance in your lifetime to bet Alabama getting points. Nick Saban, how do you not take that? If you're a sharp sharp gambler on that, let me know. Hey, coming up, Ashley from Sam and Ash Injury Law. She's a sports fan. She'll have a lot to say. And then at the bottom of the hour, Vic Tafer from The Athletic, who was over at practice today. I was over at the building today, too. We'll get Vic's analysis on the roster going forward with the Washington football team in town here and what's going to happen. Very important hit with Vic to find out what's happening with these players who are available. We're brought to you by Woodson Whiskey. Go to woodsonwhiskey.com and drink the whiskey that I drink with Charles Woodson. Yeah, well, I think the thing you saw Greg do a great job of this week is we had him in there multiple times, and, and um, you know he ends up scoring a touchdown for us because of his athletic ability and what he can do in certain uh, situations, but certainly what we're asking him to do. So uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to um, 
without giving too much away. I think he's going to you know, hopefully be a part of the packages as we go forward. And uh, he practices like he's preparing to play all the time. And the other thing is we, it's really hard to take number four out from behind the center as well, especially when he's playing the way he played on Thanksgiving Day. JT, back with you on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. What a week. What a week as we get ready for the Washington football team on Sunday. Come see me at the game, at the torch for the pregame show, along with Eric Allen. We love Sam and Ash, SamandAshInjuryLaw.com. I always told you about Sam and Ash. They're my friends. I refer my friends to this great law firm because they care about you. Give them a call, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. Ash joins us from Sam and Ash, my friend Ashley. How are you? It's been a, a little bit here since Thanksgiving. How was your holiday? Oh, hey, JT. My holiday was great. It was relaxing. Uh, anytime I can put family, friends, food, and football in a long weekend, I am a happy camper. How about you? Everything was great. Work. The Raiders, as you know, won on Thanksgiving. So I we had an extend. Yes, we had an extended post-game show, which was great. And, you know, big game coming up here. And as you watch a lot of sports, Washington's actually in the playoffs now. Washington is the seventh seed in the NFC. So once again, the Raiders have another home game where they got to play better at home. They play great on the road. They got to step up and win this game. Yeah, they really do. But I think the momentum switch like is changing, and we're on the upward swing here, heading into the playoffs. We're going to do fine. I'm confident on this, and I'm I, all Raiders, all silver and black. So uh, it's going to happen. Tell me about the Silver Knights. How much fun are you having? Where do you get your pregame on? Where do you do your postgame? I see you everywhere, you and Sam, with the Silver Knights. How great has this experience been? Oh, we love the Silver Knights. It's so much fun. So right now they're playing up at Orleans Arena, but in the beginning of next year they'll shift down to their new arena in Henderson, the Dollar Loan Center, which mm-hmm. we're really excited for. Right now, though, uh, after the games, the little secret is Sam and I run over to Bavette's at Park MGM, and that's where we'll grab an after-game bite, even with the VGK games. Awesome. Yeah, VGK, we got to get them going too. I want to jump in with you. I know you guys just took over and won a case that a big local law firm tried to get a person to settle for $200,000, but you just resolved it for nearly four times the amount. That's a big part of your business. Tell me about that when a case is not going well and all of a sudden a client says, I need better service. How often does that happen? You know, it happens a lot. And there's so many, so many law firms in this town that advertise being big and being here forever and Nevada born. But reality is it's not those things aren't the, the result of quality cases. You have to look at whether they're taking care of their clients and doing hard work day in and day out on every single one of their cases. And, and that's what we do. So we get a lot of these phone calls. And this was just one example of it where we received a phone call on a weekend from a client who was dissatisfied with his current attorney. And so we took it over and a lot of things, we looked at the file and a lot of things had gone wrong and weren't done right. And as a result, we were able to work through it and overcome some of those challenges. But uh, the client's very happy with the current result. And so are we. And we're happy that it ended this way for him and not how that other firm tried to get it to do. Ashley joins us from Sam and Ash. Whether you've been in a car accident, pedestrian injury, bike accident, motorcycle accident, you need to focus on your recovery from the injury and let the pros deal with everything else. That's why I deal with Sam and Ash, SamandAshLaw.com, 702-820-1234. Now, we've talked. We've been friends a long time. I'm more Raiders than A's. I'm a Yankee fan, so if the A's ended up getting here, I'd be at the Yankee game. But this is an interesting topic now you wanted to touch on, that Tropicana location or not. 
and baseball because you're involved with all the local sports teams. What are you What are you seeing here? What interests you? Oh, you know what? I look, JT. I'm a Raiders fan too. I know there's some history between them, based in Oakland. Uh, I'm just pro Vegas, and I love yep. seeing. I love seeing investment in Vegas. I love seeing sports teams finally having the chance to to be here and be part of this great entertainment capital of the world. Uh, I also love the fact that you know sports books, online gaming, they still want a physical footprint, physical presence here in our town. So that's what really interests me about it. I also love the proximity to the other teams, the other stadiums. I think it could create a really fun fan atmosphere for locals and out-of-towners when, you know, your Yankees are here. How many? How much fun would that be? Oh, for me, it would be big because I'd be there for the Yankees. Yeah, sure. I know. Uh, Ash, I want to ask you, what happens over the holidays traditionally with your firm? What do you see when it comes to the accidents on the freeways, the pedestrian accidents? Did things change from the hot July, August in Vegas to more travelers coming in for the holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas. What should we be on the lookout for that tends to show up on your calendar this time every year? Yeah, of course. With the holidays, we get a lot of traveling. We get a lot of people that are busy. They're going places they don't know. They're also going to parties and late at night. So uh, we see a lot of uh, driving under the influence accidents. But the critical thing is if you're hurt in an accident during the holidays you and you still have to get treatment for those injuries, so many times the beginning of the year starts and we get these phone calls from people that were hurt during the holiday season and haven't done anything about it. But you really take time to take care of yourself and make sure you get advice from a lawyer right away rather than waiting till the new year. That's interesting. We've never talked about that. So you're saying people put off injuries until after the holidays because of what? The priority of the holidays and travel or friends and family in town? Yeah, absolutely. They're traveling. They've got vacations. They've got parties to go to. And so, and they've got obligations. Christmas and Hanukkah and this season is really one of a lot of obligations mm-hmm. for work parties, et cetera. And so people put off their own health. It's crazy. It's mind boggling and it happens. And if you're like, if you're listening to the show, just don't do it. Make sure you get your health care taken care of, regardless of a party. It's not important. 702-820-1234, SalmonAshInjuryLaw.com. Now, one last thing on this. Again, I, I don't leave my house much, which I love about <laughs> me. I, I don't do much. I don't go to stores. My wife, my partner is fabulous with that. She lets me focus on the radio shows. But I do take Ubers, as you know. And I meet mm-hmm. you out and Sam with Ubers. And you still preach this to everyone out there. Everyone that we preach this to. And one mistake could change your entire life and you deal with a lot of clients and you see a lot of this tragedy when you're in court and we we got to drive that point home again Ashley especially during the holidays people go to a holiday party now they're not the grand holiday parties like they were because of covid maybe 5 10 years ago but people have now these happy hours where they mm-hmm. get drink tickets and they go out and even those you have two drinks you're at a local tavern You say, hey, you know, I only had two drinks. It was a two-hour party. I can get home. And people don't realize they're over the limit. Yeah, it's crazy. It sneaks up on you. If you're going to have any sort, any amount of alcohol, just do the right thing for not only yourself and your family and friends, but everyone else on that roadway and get an Uber, get a, a designated driver to take you home. It's just, it's so critical that we don't make poor decisions because when you hurt someone in an accident while you're driving under the influence, it's really not an accident. That's a crash and it's totally avoidable. Finally, where will you be signing autographs at First Friday? It's your big First Friday. Coming <laughs> oh up, do you my... have a booth? What are you doing for First Friday, the leader of First Friday? 
Oh my gosh, JT. We love First Friday in the Arts District. We always have a booth uh, with everyone and all the artists uh, down the strip behind the Arts Factory. But this week, we're actually doing something fun on Friday. We're going to broadcast live uh, a little radio segment for th- throughout the show. Throughout the entire event, we're going to do a, a live oh, wow. air broadcast from 2 to Fantastic. 5. Fantastic. 5 to 7, I think. Yeah. You got all the radio equipment now. You got the headsets and all that. And you invested in radio. You've invested in us. You are great friends. We are proud to be a partner of yours. And thanks for doing this. Tell everybody about the website, how they can call you quickly if they're in an accident, how, they, how you get in touch and get right back to them. Yeah, anytime. If you have any question, call us 24-7-702-820-1234 or the website samandashlaw.com. It's easy. See you soon. Hope to see you this weekend. Oh, of course. See you soon, GDT. There she is. That's Ashley Watkins of Salmon Ash, salmonashinjurylaw.com, because you deserve what's right. Proud partner of our show right here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Second and goal from the 10, McKissick backfield inside handoff to McKissick jump five to the center of the line dive to the goal line touchdown touchdown Washington a second of the game for JD McKissick man this team likes to run the ball they love time of possession JT brought to you by Remy Martin team up for excellence when I'm talking X's and O's it's with the Remy Martin sidecar in my hand Vic Tafer kind enough to join us from the athletic so, Vic, let's start off with your opinion on Darren Waller, the injury. Even though we don't get much information on this, is there a chance you think he can play Sunday? I'm leaning towards no, but you never know. With Darren, obviously, he wants to play. He's definitely proven to be a tough guy. But I think they're going to probably just try and play it safe on uh, West Up this week. And they got, you know, they're pretty confident in Foster Moreau. So I think they won the game with him earlier this year. I think they can go with that same approach again on Sunday. Yeah, I agree with that, and I talked to Coach Passacci about that today, about the game that he had against Philadelphia. Six targets, six receptions, 60 yards, a touchdown. But, you know, they leave him in from time to time to block, especially when they go up against a good defense there. So do you expect Moreau to be in as a traditional tight end, or do you think he'll line up wide or in the slot there and maybe run a couple of big routes? You would hope so. I think mean, he's, he's shown he can win matchups against linebackers. I think you're trying yeah. to pick your spots, get him one-on-one with someone – and try to exploit him deep, but uh, he definitely has been much improved as a blocker his time here, so I think you can use him inside, maybe some play action and stuff, maybe uh, you can pretend to block and then roll out, but I think it's a pretty good weapon to have, a nice luxury to have him as a, a backup tight end. Vic, tell me what you know about Jack Del Rio now. You had a great relationship with him, as, you know, covering the team and had access to him back in the day, and now that he's with Washington as the defensive coordinator, what's working with his chemistry with Ron Rivera, even without Chase Young? How is this defense playing so well? Yeah, I made some nice adjustments even when, when Chase went out. They're not giving up the big play anymore. I think that's been something he's focused on. I think um, he hasn't playing hard, which is always something that, that Jack prides himself on with and some Rivera. So I think he's done a nice job, and I'm sure he's looking forward to the matchup. I'm sure he knows Derek Carr better than most. He must think he has some uh, some answers, and I'm sure Derek feels the same way. So I think it's going to be a, a fun matchup to watch on Sunday. Vic Tafer's our guest from The Athletic, a must-follow. Check out all his content. Vic, I wanted to ask you about Carr. You were there on Thanksgiving and the way that he was attacking downfield again. Deshaun Jackson, the chemistry there, and I thought Josh was running the ball hard. What were some of your big takeaways with the offense in Dallas on Thanksgiving? 
Yeah, I think they've shown that they can. They have to pass the ball to open up the game for their running game. I think they, they sometimes run first to open up the passing game, but I think for them it doesn't work that way. I think they've shown this year repeatedly that Derek has to come out aggressive. I think Deshaun Jackson gives them that option. They lost with Ruggs, and now you can attack teams. And then once teams are kind of back on their heels, then you can run the ball a little bit, maybe some play action and that kind of stuff. But I think really, to me, it just shows that his uh, Derek's approach has to be come out for the kill right, right from the outset of the game. So, Vic, when you're in the press box and you're watching these Allegiant games compared to the road games, and they don't come out, and they don't explode in the first quarter, and they don't put up points, do you think that's going to change now? Do you think Olsen and the offense realizes go for wide attack, maybe play a little bit up tempo? Because when they break the huddle and they snap the ball with under three seconds to go, I think a good defense has their ears pinned back. They take a lot of time. I don't even think to get the play in, but the adjustments they make when they change the play – I just hope they snapped the ball a little bit earlier, and I think they did that in Dallas. Yeah, I hope so. I hope they would they would focus on what's working and, and go from there. I think they showed the kind of team that can be in Dallas, and I think my one uh, concern would be like you mentioned, they ran the ball well towards the end of that game. So maybe they think they are still a balanced team, but in my mind, they're not a balanced. They can't be a balanced. The whole line's not built this year to be a dominant run game. I think they have to really. Mm-hmm. Like I said, force feed the pass. And I open some things up after that. So I, I hope they would change their approach a little bit and be more aggressive from the get-go. Vic, what was your analysis of that game? You were there, 28 penalties. Wow, 14 for each team. How does Basaccia go from 14 penalties to four or 14 to five? Like it's everybody, every coach, how many times have you sat in a post-game press conference where they say, we got to clean that up, we got to clean that up? and it doesn't get cleaned up, I think it's imperative that they play a clean game against Washington. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously, we mentioned the O-line has some issues, and I think that's part of the problem. But on defense, you know, they're so aggressive, which is great. You want to see that aggressiveness. They definitely played well under Gus. But I think at times that definitely hurts them with the over-aggressiveness and the dumb penalties and things that you shouldn't be doing at this point in the season. So I think you just keep preaching it. I think um, I do that one game on Thursday. was just a, you know, that was just a nightmare. I think the officials kind of lost their minds. And I know Jerry Jones complained about it, but you know, there was even those 14 penalties on each side. So they were bad both ways. So I just think that sometimes the officials kind of get carried away. Maybe they knew it was a huge TV audience and their mm-hmm. grandkids are watching them. I have no idea what they're doing. But that game got, got out of hand pretty quickly. I think hopefully this weekend we're back to some normalcy. Vic's kind enough to join us every other Thursday. We really appreciate it from The Athletic. So, Vic, you talk to a lot of fans. You interact with a lot of fans. What are the fans saying with an opportunity to go 7-5? and five? And I don't want to get too far ahead with the schedule, but a lot can happen at 7-5 and five, considering some of the bad losses this year. And fans that I'm talking to here on Raider Nation Radio, this is make or break. 7-5 and five would be a pretty good place to be considering all the issues off the field. You know the fans. The fans are nuts. Definitely, either the team is going to win the whole thing, or they're terrible. There's really no in between with these fans. Like every week, they they live and die with this team, which is great. But I think the losing streak kind of got them way down, and now they're trying to get their hopes back up. And they're still leery. I understand why this matchup seems like a tough matchup, but in my mind, I think the Raiders are definitely the more talented team. They're at home. I think, like you mentioned, this is a great spot where they were like three weeks ago. Like game against the Chiefs, they blew. That was a chance to kind of get you know, momentum going and get a good. Mm-hmm stronghold on the rest of the schedule. I think they have that chance again now. Again, they should win Sunday, and when they win, they'll be in pretty good shape. Last one, Vic, Josh Jacobs. I thought he really ran fresh and hard in that game. He had a burst to him. Did you see it that way? Yeah, I think he's been, he said he's the healthiest he's been in a while, which I believe. I think the old line's gotten a little bit better. Just enough where he gives us some cracks at it. So I think, I think he's fine. I think the running game can be fine if 
used correctly. I think for them, they can't come out and try to run the ball to start the game. They got to like go back to what worked on Thursday and let Josh get his spots later on in the game. Is what I would do. Thanks, Vic. I'll see you Sunday at the stadium. Appreciate you. All right, bud. Take care. You got it, Vic Tafer. Great content provider. Must follow at the Athletic. And what he just said at the end is really important. He knows Josh better than I do. And he says that, look, he is playing healthier than he's played in the past. That's got to be big here. It's got to be. He, he's supposed to be a superstar. He's got to have a big game that we don't expect to see a big game. Why not against Washington? When they got their ears pinned back, throw a screen to Josh. Let him go 30 yards. How about a run of 16 to 20 yards? How about a big breakaway run? I hope we see it. Wow, we're double stocked here, uh, stacked here. Eric Eager joins us, one of the best analysts at Pro Football Focus. From a gaming perspective and analytics, Eric, great to catch up with you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're jumping right in. We just had Vic Tafer on. We're talking about the Washington football team. What impressed you about their win on Monday night? Yeah, it was a it was a good performance. I think a lot of that was Seattle just not getting out of their own way. But you know, Washington certainly. You know, if you think about the, the penalties that they had, and, and, you know, they probably should have won that game by a lot more than the two points uh, that they ended up winning it by. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, the defense looks like it's rounding into form. Some of the teams that they've um, faced were, you, know, you look ahead of their schedule, and, like, if you bet they're under, for example, a lot of that was due to, you know, some of the opposing quarterbacks they were uh, slated to face. And, you know, some of those, you know, the win against Tampa Bay, very impressive. Win against you know Russell Wilson looks a little different now than it did at the, in the preseason, um, but yeah they're they're rounding in the form and you know right now uh, we give them about a thirty five I believe chance to make the playoffs um, right behind Minnesota at forty one percent for that seventh seed in the NFC. It's interesting Russell Westbrook. You look at his game. I think he probably came back from the finger injury a little bit too early, but you know not an analytics question. But what do you think is going to happen here? Eric, with him, if he wasn't happy last year with how the offseason went, do you think this is going to pick up speed quickly on him looking for an exit strategy or are the Seahawks going to sit him down and say, well, maybe we move on from Pete, but we'll bring in a coach here to work with you and keep him long-term? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think it's almost impossible that, you know, all three, you know, Wilson, Carroll, and Schneider all stay. Um, you know, they, they had Shane Walden from the Rams that was supposed to help things, but you watch that offense, it was every bit as – you know, conservative uh, as it's ever been, and, and obviously that needs to change for Wilson to stay in, in Seattle. And I, you know, with Carroll there, I just don't see that happening. Uh, let's move on. I wanted to ask you about the Cowboys situation, what you thought saw on Thanksgiving Day. Now Mike McCarthy out for COVID. Jerry Jones really disappointed in Amari Cooper not being able to play for not being vaccinated, getting C.D. Lamb back. But I still go back to the Zeke injury, even though they have Pollard. Zeke being you know, not anywhere near 100%. Do you think he'll get healthier as the season goes on, or they got to make more of a transition to Pollard to carry the load? Yeah, I even think if Zeke was healthy, you'd probably want to transition to Pollard just because he is the better back. But, yeah, I mean, that it's kind of a disarray there. And you've seen the betting marks. You know, they that, that game opened at five, and it got out to six, and then once all the COVID stuff came out, it's now down to four, and I, I would even take a little New Orleans, especially given – you know, you have, you talk about Heineke as a backup. Well, they're going to go with Taysom Hill in New Orleans, which, mm-hmm. you know, with Simeon, that's where they've lost the four straight. And I think that that's, you know, that, that's going to provide a little bit of spark. One interesting thing is Hill, Hill last season, in his four starts, two of them came against Dan Quinn defenses. Now, Quinn had been fired, but they were Dan Quinn's schemes. Dan Quinn 
you know, the defense coordinator of Dallas, maybe there's some familiarity there with Hill, uh, and maybe, uh, you know, the Saints are a sneaky bet to make on Thursday night. Eric Eager is our guest. Eric, what would you see in the Chargers' loss to the Broncos? Because the Broncos have life. They're a very desperate team now, but right in the middle of the hunt in the AFC West. And I thought the Chargers would be even up on Kansas City now or be a couple of games up on Las Vegas when they started to get on a roll. And now, as always, they come back to the pack. Yeah, it's just it's there's two you know laws I guess gravity and and the, the Chargers never being <laughs> that far away from 500. Um, yeah, I, I think we, you know you look their skill position players are better near the line of scrimmage. You know, Keenan Allen's an underneath guy. You lost Eckler's a running back, obviously, but you know Justin Herbert I think has had a very impressive season. But you look at his statistics and you know they're only like Tua and Big Ben and maybe like Jared Goff with a lower average depth of target than him and and. You know, that's not really what you think about when you think about a quarterback with that kind of arm. Um, and, you know, and you look at Brandon Staley, he came out, you know, earlier this week and said that Joe Lombardi's doing a wonderful job. And I, I just, I can't really square that. So, you know, as somebody who, you know, I, I you know, bet on the Chiefs every year, I had not placed mm-hmm. a bet. I thought the market was way too hot on them. I finally started taking some Chiefs to win AFC West futures about a month ago. And I think those are going to probably cash. Where were you on Colts' futures for them to win the South? They're another team that can't get out of the way of themselves. Blew a golden opportunity to win a game and be right but one game behind the Titans. Now they're two games behind the Titans in the loss column. Yeah, I'm, I'm sweating a little bit. I had some Colts under 10 wins. I had them, you know, uh, not to make the playoffs. And I, I do think, you know, independent of losing that game, 5.9 yards per play, 31 points. I thought they played great against Tampa. You know, they just got in their own way with turnovers and stuff. Um, they'll probably, you know, be in the mix. I think they're a good football team. I think Carson Wentz is the quarterback of the future for them. Uh, obviously, unfortunate they lost that game. They lost that game to Baltimore on that Monday night. Um, you know, they lost an overtime game to the Titans uh, in that, in, you know, in this stretch. So they're a team that if they, they had better luck or better fortune, they'd be probably what not, you know, nine and three or something right now. And instead, they're six and six and. You know, they're going to be grinding it out with the Browns and, you know, the, the Steelers and teams like that to even try to make the AFC playoff. Eric Eager is our guest. We'll stay in the AFC for a few more. Are you fading the Raiders or you think the Raiders are in a good spot here? If they beat Washington, they get to 7-5, and five, still with Denver and the Chargers at home, a road game at the Browns and Indy later in the season here. Where do you stand on Las Vegas? Yeah, I took them early in the season at six and a half wins, seven wins or so. So obviously, I'd hope that they win one of these games. I think Washington's going to be a tough one for them, but uh, you know they're going to come off extended rest. I think they sh- they are favored in that game. Um, I don't know if they make the playoffs, though. They're just too inconsistent, and you know their offense plays well some games, plays horribly other games. Um, you know the the teams that make the AFC playoffs are going to be pretty good, and and I just don't yeah. know if I I consider the Raiders that. I, I think the Raiders would be a perfect seventh seed in the nfc uh, you know with their form relative to the afc yeah you nail it on the nfc and what the record's going to be to get in there eric eager as we wrap it up uh niners and the rams the niners and that that win against the rams kind of shot them into a three-game winning streak and the rams have lost three in a row do you think the rams got to look over their shoulders and the niners can pass them up i don't think the rams or the niners are going to catch the cardinals here but I wouldn't be surprised if the Niners caught and passed up on the Rams. How do you say it? Yeah, we give, we give the Niners a 70% chance to make the playoffs after the win against Minnesota. It was even money uh, before that game. So, obviously, a big leverage game and a big win by Shanahan. Only there. I mean, they've only beaten 
you know, the two teams at home since they were in the Super Bowl in 2019, uh, mm-hmm. the Vikings and then twice the Rams. So that was a big win at home uh, to get. Um, but, yeah, I think they, they have all the markings of a team that will make the playoffs. I think the Rams, you know, they get the Jaguars this week. I think they'll probably win that game. I don't think they're as bad as the three-game losing streak shows, but I also they're not the juggernaut that they thought they were when they went all in and got Stafford and Vaughn Miller and, and Odell Beckham Jr., uh, and sort of mortgage the future, which is unfortunate because you know that's a that's a good coach in Sean McVay, and I, I think his his talents are going to be wasted by I think mismanagement by Les Snead and guys who put that roster together. Hey, Eric, finally, do you guys adjust numbers? What, what do you think about the cold weather teams, the dome teams playing in the cold weather, the warm weather teams having to go back east again? Are you big on that, or do you just follow the trends of yards and stats and look at it that way? What is what role does weather play on your analytics going forward? Yeah, you have to adjust play by play statistics by mm-hmm. you know temperature and wind and, and um, you know whether the game was in a dome. So you know there's a it adds up. It's a little itty bitty amount on every single play, but then you add it up. So you know somebody like Tom Brady, you know when he was with New England and every single play was you know being played you know outside. That guy's going to have a little bit of a mm-hmm better base rating than say somebody like Drew Brees where every plays in a dome right so that that's kind of like how you do it um as far as you know going one you know like let's say west coast goes goes east coast that's pretty baked into the market in fact I think it's probably over baked in to the market when a team like the Raiders goes and plays a team like Pittsburgh at one uh eastern but you do have to factor that in and the, and the one thing that has been shown and there's an academic paper about it is you know if you if you practice or your your home team you know weather is 70 you know, degrees all week, and then you go and play in Lambeau, uh, you know, that there is a decrease in performance there, uh, a decrease in performance that somehow Tom Brady, uh, as he wanted to do, uh, overcame last year in January. I really liked your column at PFF, why kicking field goals to go up six late in games is the wrong thing to do. You really broke that down. There, there's just a lot of fans who are used to that field goal to go up, but again, going the length of the field and beating a team after they went up sixth, I could see that. Can you leave us with a thought on that, and how often do you see that, and how many coaches are changing their their philosophy for your theory of just go for it on fourth down in that situation? Well, I don't think coaches are changing it that much, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, and I think this year with offense being a little down, I think, you know, we're it's they're reverting maybe a little bit more to old school thinking, but you know, especially last year during the pandemic, where both road offenses and away off and home offenses were extremely efficient. It's just you know the the loser play in the NFL is to trust your defense with the lead. You know, like it, and to me, I think you know writing that in that writing that column, it was just basically like you know a six point lead. You know, you cause other teams to be more aggressive, and um, you know if you leave it at three, then maybe the other team pulls up for a field goal, and you know white kicking is in the NFL. You might still even win that game if you don't play great defense, but they stick to a field goal. Whereas with a, a, a six-point lead, like the other team's aggressive on you, and oftentimes, you know, when you're when, with the way penalties are called and things like that, you just don't want the opponent to be aggressive against you offensively. Yeah, it's a perfect world to live in if your kicker kicks or if you got a quarterback that can pick up fourth downs or big plays on third and long to ice a game. Eric, I always appreciate your time and work. Thanks for joining us as always. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Take care. As always, appreciate it. Eric Eager, fantastic. One of the many we follow at PFF. I'm a subscriber. I get their gold package, whatever it is. I do it every January. I get all the analytics, all the numbers, all the rankings of the players. 
And that's a big, big part of what I do when I prep for the show. Pro football focus, Eric Eager. So let me look at the moving line before we get out of here. By the way, the early line is set for next week. Raiders at Kansas City. Kansas City minus 10. What? Kansas City a 10-point favorite. 10-point favorite against the Raiders. And that's at the Superbook where our friend Jeff Sherman joins us. And Caesars has Kansas City the early line, minus 10. Hey, Raider Nation, jump on that now. You don't know what's going to happen with Mahomes. Whatever happens, happens. But you know where I'm going there. You're getting 10 points. I wouldn't pick the Raiders to win on the money line, but maybe you like the Raiders to cover that early line, which is up at the Superbook at the Westgate. Uh, Coming into this game, which is a massive game for the Raiders, it's a make-or-break game. Raiders opened up minus 1.5. Now they're minus two and a half. Get this. Let me at win bet, they're minus two and a half. At circa, they're minus one. At the Superbook, they're minus two. So there's money flying all over this game. Total on the game is 49 and a half, up from 48. I, I think this game should go over the total. The Raiders haven't been able to stop anybody. And Carr could put up big points if he gets in a rhythm here. So with all of that happening. If you're going to bet the Raiders, I hate when the Raiders are a home favorite by a little, a one- or two-point favorite, because take a look at some of those games. They don't end well. But I like the Raiders to win this game. Everything's on the line, and they got to come out. Cars got to play big. I feel good. Whenever Derek has a good game after a couple poor games, then he gets on a roll. Then he could do it for two or three in a row. That's got to happen right here. Tonight you have Dallas at New Orleans. Mike McCarthy is not going to coach this game due to COVID. Uh, Dallas is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, you think of the three of the biggest names in sports have COVID. LeBron James, Dana White, and Mike McCarthy. Uh, Can you believe that? The, The head coach of America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, LeBron James and the health and safety protocol. They're very tight with the issue there. And Dana White, who I just ran into a couple of weeks ago, friend of the show, And we hope Dana's doing well, and he sounds like he's doing great. I want to thank all of our partners today, everybody who joined us. Vic Tafer was great. Tommy White from the 872 Laborers. It was fun to talk to him. Also, Ashley from SalmonAshLaw.com. And your phone calls. Join me tonight on Mad Dog Sports Radio, 7 to 10 p.m. Tomorrow, I'll be hosting the Silver and Black Show at the facility, and we'll have you our exclusive interview with Rich Pisaccia. The head coach, which I think is the best one we've done. He was in a great mood. He's always in a good mood, but he was in a really good mood. Excited about that win and had a lot to say about the Washington football team. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Uh, We're still thinking of Frank Harnish, Ballpark Frank, who passed away. Big part of our family here at Lotus. And we'll be talking about him forever. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the flagship. Follow me at JT the Brick on Twitter and see what we're doing on Facebook.